Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. You're listening to the Bellarmine Forum Podcast. I am your show host, John B. Manos, president of the Bellarmine Forum, formerly known as the Wanderer Forum Foundation. And today, we're going to talk about the chickens have come home to roost in Cincinnati. For years. Yeah, I I just want to get this off my chest. I am so sick of modern commentators that either don't want to learn about the past, ignore the past, or just speak off the cuff. One thing I do know about, and you Bellarmine Forum readers know this, I grew up in Cincinnati, went to Old St. Mary's Parish, home of the Latin mass fights. Even at the behest of my parents and parishioners at Old St. Mary's, wrote my own letter, petitioning in favor of Ecclesia Day. During that time, I saw Archbishop Bernardin, Archbishop Polarczyk. I went to St. Xavier Academy uh, for the longest time, well regarded as the best and finest Jesuit Academy in the United States. And believe me, I got the best that the Jesuits could offer when I went there in the 80s, late 80s. The Wanderer was reporting on PFLAG being there. The rest of the world didn't really hear about PFLAG until the early 2000s, unless they read The Wanderer. It stands for Parents for Lesbian and Gay Children. I got to see the glories of the seminary, who I, by today's standard would uh, probably... Let me put it this way. It wasn't appealing in the slightest to me. Among other things, the theology professor at the seminary was one Barbara Fiont, who advocated women's ordination. The vocations director wore his Masonic ring. When you surveyed the students at the time, if by any chance you had even any slightest inklings to the reality of church teaching, uh, you were going to have a very hard time in that seminary. As a matter of, at that time, in the early 90s, as a matter of fact, you would probably be kicked out and disgraced with some mark of not fit psychologically or something like that. In other words, no sane, rational male would want to go there. And I think that that's a story in, that's lost today. There was something that happened in the late 90s. I think uh, that something was spearheaded by then Cardinal Ratzinger. And a lot of these seminaries changed. There was a golden era, era for a short while, starting sort of in the late 90s going into the early 2000s. Written before, because the Josephina was right up the road, about people who were there who wrote about the homosexual subculture in the seminary at the Josephina. That was the time when uh, Cardinal Supich was the rector. Men could go to the Josephina, particularly if you're a foreigner and not encounter it. They left you alone. As the uh, Tony Gapardo's book. Or other books. Michael Rose wrote the book Goodbye Good Men. Priest friend of mine at the time thought the Goodbye Good Men left out stories he thought were apropos of the dangers of the way straight, uh, church loving, theologically sane men were treated and routed out of the seminary. There was an empty period. There was a period of time where that wasn't occurring. Ratzinger was driving it. And I think it was a lot of prayers to Our Lady. And then when Pope Benedict was there, it seemed to stay that way. We're hearing a lot more that it's going back to the way it was. You know, but back in the day, in the 90s, if you read The Wanderer, they brought up quotes of a future pre-shortage being brought on particularly 
by the activity in the seminaries and the outright attacks and pushing out of normal men. Take that as you will. And then if you were somewhat interested, you, you ultimately would come across some story of how a man's reputation had been destroyed by an adverse psychological finding against him when he was in the seminary. Your other options were some of the orders that were around then, but there were a lot of bad stories about them too. You might disappear in a third world country. No joke. Out of that, we're just going to focus on Cincinnati. I mentioned Barbara Fiond. There's an old uh, National Catholic Reporter article about her. And her lament when, again, Ratzinger had written a letter. She was removed. Her contract was renewed. Her whole purpose, teaching, I'm using air quotes, theology, at the Cincinnati Seminary called the Mount St. Mary's of the West, was one, women's ordination, two, modernism. She's got books out there. I'll leave it up to you, uh, dear listener, to go look her up if you if you want to. If you like sorting through error and and trash, go look it up. It's uh, and that's my opinion. In my humble opinion, I'm gonna put that in there because I think these people still have some teeth sometimes. But you had more. It wasn't just her. You had this whole. Uh, Sister No Dame and the Sisters of Charity out on the west side of Cincinnati been a pack, a pack of women's ordination, all the attendant social justice issues. All the things that you would read about in the Wanderer in the 90s that everybody thinks is new today. It was Bishop Gumbleton that was uh, writing way back when that he looked forward to the day that the gay priests could come out of the closet and share their gifts with the church. You know, I've often wondered if we replace that and say, what if instead he had said, I look forward to the day that all the frauds could come out of the closet and share their gifts with the church. If all the murderers could come out of the closet. You know, but back, I can remember in those days, in the mid-90s, if you wanted to go to confession, you were going to be ridiculed by the priest. Oh, that's not a sin. Oh, call me back if you have something to, and that was only if, now, naturally, I knew places to go to find confession. There were still very, very, very faithful priests around, thanks be to God. But if you just wanted to wander into a parish to go to confession, even though the time was in the bulletin, there was nobody hearing them. If you wanted to catch a convenient confession, you might go to one of these suburban parishes in Cincinnati and see the glass room with nobody there. Or you might be counseled. If you called and asked, you know, can I set up an appointment? You might be counseled about, it's really not necessary. Is it really serious? You couldn't find confessions. Or I've written about a number of, uh, I remember the student center in the early 90s, going with a friend from college who went to Sunday Mass, the priest, during the canon, came up to the point of confession, I mean, consecration. He backed away from the altar, and five women approached the altar. For any of you that pay any attention to anything about witchcraft, five women, witch, coven, pentacle, yeah, put the pieces together. They put their hands over the bread on the altar. Much to the dismay of the friend I was with, I got up and left. When the argument ensued, I said, whatever that was in there, it's not Catholic. But for many Catholics that lived in Cincinnati, that's what they experienced is Catholicism. And if they didn't get that, Maybe they had the philandering pastor, of which there were a few. 
that were then put back into service at other parishes. Maybe they had the, uh, we had our share of scandals. The people knew they were open secrets. Of course, those people weren't removed from parish ministry. It seemed to be that was the point. Archbishop Polarczyk called it advancement of the laity, that there were lesbians teaching classes at the seminary. That was rightly uh, condemned in a 1997 pastoral letter, again, Ratzinger, John Paul II, cited about confusion, a document that was trying to clarify the difference between ordained ministry and the lay faithful. Another confusion, most of these parishes have all the problems with, uh, you know, to more lay ministers, uh, what are we going to call them, extraordinary ministers of the Eucharist. And I won't even begin to get into the abuses of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, of distribution of Holy Communion at Mass. Although, if I began to go down the, 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 the litany of liturgical abuses you could find in almost any parish around Cincinnati during that time. Litanies. You want to go to social justice and listen to a modernist? Ah, yeah. Seen that. You want to listen to women preaching? Yep, you can find that. Want to find a three-parish uh, uh, consolidated parish group that has a None that doesn't wear habit nor refers to her, nor does not use the name sister as the parish coordinator. Oh, yeah, that's Barbara Fionn, who advanced, advocated women's ordination and taught at the seminary. Yeah. Starting to sound a little familiar. All of those things were going on in Cincinnati. And if we're going to talk about subpar catechesis, a past, you know, where you're told to discover for yourself the meaning of faith and that Jesus is our super friend and loves us no matter what. You can't go to confession. You can't get sacraments that are marginally valid. And you have this uh, encroachment on the ordained priesthood by lay ministry and, and this active cabal of advocates of women's ordination. Or maybe you go to your parish and the uh, the deacon that uh, uh, reads at Mass each week, you know, he's also inviting you to the Masonic Lodge. Very common. Big thing in Cincinnati. Let's talk about Cincinnati for really what it was, okay? And let's talk about the destruction of the faith that was mentioned, ignored, and festered by Bernard and Polarczyk. Okay. That sets the stage. So imagine when I start seeing the reactions. Earlier this year in July, Archbishop Schnur. Now, I need to clarify something about Archbishop Schnur. He inherited this. This is stuff that all happened before he came. As a matter of fact, right before Archbishop Schnur came to Cincinnati, there was a letter that came, uh, was it 2008? There was still a Sister Ackers, huge advocate for women's ordination who had been teaching, taught theology and everything else. And Polarczyk was put on the spot to remove her or have her recant. And in the course of that half-hour conversation that Polarczyk wouldn't comment on, he said it was a personnel matter. She, however, Acker's uh, talking to Cincinnati Magazine. I'm going to quote here. Acker says the archbishop told her that if she wanted to continue teaching for credit, she would have to take her name off the website of the Women's Ordination Conference. Acker said she agreed. Then, she says, Polarczyk told her there was something else she had to do. And that something else was to make a public statement that I changed my mind and agree with church teaching on women's ordination. She said, what? He repeated it. And she said, I can't do that. It would be a lie and would go against my conscience. And he said, 
then you accept the consequences, meaning she will no longer teach at that Catholic college in Cincinnati. She said that when she left Archbishop Polarczyk's office, she was numb. You know why? Because no actions like that had been taken in 30 years in Cincinnati. Get it? Of course she was numb. Heresy, error, and death were allowed to just creep their way throughout suburban Cincinnati churches. Yeah, and Cincinnati has those churches in the round and all the other fun stuff. And, you know, they've got great sports leagues. They've got a lot of activity. And to the average suburban, still kind of Catholic, you know, they, they go. But they haven't been. Remarriage, divorce, as Father Hardin said, if the annulment crisis continued, there would be, uh, the church wouldn't survive. You know, and it goes hand in hand with, uh, with contraception, right? Now, that sets the stage. I had to laugh. Uh, Eric Sammons is uh, uh, head of Crisis Magazine out there. He's, he's made quite a voice for himself on Twitter. His reaction, he said, that my home diocese announced a plan to restructure the diocese and eventually eliminate 70% of the parishes. And he says, it's a necessary move based on changing demographics and declining numbers. But I can't help to ask, how's that new evangelization working out? Yeah, Eric, uh, you need to learn a little bit about Cincinnati history. This is the chickens coming home to roost. You can't have a modernist descent just propagate through all of the parishes. And just open, open Gnosticism, open heresy, just fester for decades and it not have this effect. You can't have, oh, I need to be careful. People promoted at the front of, I'm going to say traditionalist groups that are on their third wife. And it not mean something. It's, there's a mismatch in a lot of things that go on. But one thing is real. Everything I said about what was going on, there have to be consequences, right? Can you go and look at the, at the confession schedules of parishes around Cincinnati? Yeah, go do it. You'll see that that article I wrote years ago, is it wrong to judge a parish on its uh, confession schedule bears out when it's by appointment, meaning you have to identify yourself to church staff and then go, you know, show up in the parlor. Do you think people are going to go do that? Now, I have to say this. During the early 2000s, the cathedral made it a point to have standing confession times. And there would be good priests that would show up there but you know what? Going to downtown Cincinnati in the middle of the day at 11 a.m. is really not convenient for most people. Let's be realistic about uh, these schedules that they put out. And if you look at the parishes, maybe there's 15 minutes before the vigil mass on Saturday. You know, and when the priest like is busy getting ready for mass, do you really think there's that many confessions being heard? There's just one one thing going on. And there's a lot of, you know, I want to call it ignorant commentary. Ignorant in the sense that they don't know any better. Like Rob Dreher writes this uh, in, uh, article in the American Conservative, and he's going on, and he's, you know, it's kind of like this theater of the destruction. And I guess it's so tiring to me because I saw it in front of my eyes when I was graduating high school. I saw it occurring. That was 30 years ago. These people are just now waking up to the idea. These things have been rotting from the inside. The facade has been, oh, we still have the sports, we still have the schools, we still have the kids. But yeah, contraception, uh, annulments, uh, the divorced and remarried, you know, they, all of that stuff has just kept going. And then the tone-deaf nature of the, of the 
of the bishops, oh, we're going to turn to the future of the church and ignore the prodigal sons and daughters that they created. So let me ask you something. Father Hardin said that the church will not survive where contraception, where annulments were given away, just the annulment crisis alone, he said the church would not survive because of the fundamental breakdown of the understanding of the sacrament. He also said that, you know, where there were no confessions, he gives examples in his spiritual life in the modern world of the lack of confessions uh, as being a problem in other places. He said, you know, where people don't go to confession, the church won't survive, obvious. And then the other pillar, the obvious pillar, Marian devotions and the real presence. What do you think was going to happen? When in catechism class, uh, you know, one of the bishops said this uh, to me, talk about me and my class and right there in Cincinnati, that the Blessed Sacrament was nothing more than a symbol of community. What do you think? That's why most of my grade school class no longer practices their Catholic faith. Between the contraception and decades of subpar catechesis, Catholics that have no understanding of God revealed himself, died for us, rose from the dead, and founded a church that gave us sacraments whereby we have power from heaven. If Mass is just a community celebration, what do you think would happen? It did not take a prophet. There was no mystic for me to see this will fail. Having a little conference now and then. There are signs of hope around Cincinnati. Don't get me wrong. One parish has a Eucharistic procession and regular adoration. I don't know if it was enough to re remove what I've said before, where the bishop supported this and a pastor was showing people when they wanted adoration, he was showing them an NCCB, the Old Bishops' Conference, a video titled, Are We Host Gazers or Host Partakers? Yes, as the title uh, indicates, it was nothing more than a subversion of belief in the real presence. What do you think 30 years, 40 years, 50 years of that in a diocese is going to do to it? It's amazing there's anybody still going to Mass there. And that's just proof that there are pockets of hope around Cincinnati. Now, with all those things, with the predictions out there, with everybody knowing it, and nothing being done, heterodoxy and heretical teaching just running rampant. Oh, yeah, you want to go to the other side of town, the east side of town? You got the mercy nuns over there. Uh, be sure to sign up for the Reiki healing touch or for the, uh, I'm sure they just had a autumnal equinox celebration of, of, of creation baloney. Nice way, in my opinion, to say it. Uh, baloney is not harsh enough to say what that actually is. Whatever it is, it's not Catholic, in my opinion. But it's allowed to fester, continue, and grow. Meanwhile, these people have been claiming all along that they're Catholic. None of this. And then we, we won't even talk about the, the divorced and remarried being siphoned off into the uh, Church of Self uh, Evangelical. I don't even, they're not even evangelical, whatever they are. Uh, Dewey modernists uh, with a veneer of Christian churches. Very, 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 there's two very prominent ones there. Uh, one was put together by uh, P&G marketing executives. And uh, they have a lot of feel-good stuff there. And they kind of have some kind of creed thing. Yeah, you'll find a lot of the people that went to the Catholic schools in Cincinnati now going to those churches. Well, let's look at the letter from Archbishop Schnur. And yeah, don't confuse what I'm saying. I think that he has done a number of things to try to right the ship in Cincinnati. He inherited the Titanic, though. He literally did. And at least there was a little bit of help clearing out some of these uh, heretics before he got there. 
But if I've given you even just a faint idea of just how bad it was there, imagine, I, I, I think from Father Hardin's recommendations, there should be more confessions. There should be even more pronouncement and more insurance that people are being taught the true faith. There should probably be overt, regular teaching. There's some, but I don't think it reflects the level of crisis. Instead, and, and, and let's be clear about something, there is a need to deal with to deal with the problem. The problem is Cincinnati used to have a Catholic parish on every street corner because you needed one, you know, this one was for the German kids, this one was for the Irish kids, so on and so forth, and there was no problem. Why? Because despite a lot of this, the faith persisted for a good bit. But the chickens have come home to roost. If I, and and Schnur has to, I mean, there's, a realistic thing that has to happen here. You got these things that aren't going to be used. How do you deal with it? How do you make something that functions? The first problem I have with this is this, you know, just the feel of this website, beacons of light, pastoral planning for our third century. I'm going to read his letter real quick. I'm going to give you excerpts. This was published on July 2nd, 2021. It's from Archbishop Schnurk. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, as we celebrate the bicentennial anniversary of the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, we give thanks to our generous God for the many blessings he has bestowed on us and look forward with expectant faith of what is to come. No comment. Next paragraph. Much has changed in our Archdiocese and in the United States over the past 200 years. For instance, we are an increasingly mobile society no longer traveling to work or church on foot or horseback. Compared to earlier eras in our church's history, when waves of European Catholic immigrants faced scorn and discrimination, Catholics have made tremendous progress in educational level, social acceptance, career achievement, and affluence. Catholics can now be found in the highest tiers of every profession and public office in this country. Uh, okay. Here we go. So that was an attempt to deliver the good news. Now comes the delivery of the bad news. This is a PR formula that we're looking at here. So this is the third paragraph. Unfortunately, not all change over the past two centuries has been for the better. American assimilation has brought with it certain diminishment of distinctive Catholic culture. Religious practice among Catholics following the overall U.S. trend is in serious decline. One need only look at the empty pews of an average Sunday Mass to know this. Catholic families are generally not as large as they used to be, and fewer parents encourage their children to consider a religious vocation. Here in our own archdiocese, while we have been blessed these past few years with an increase in the number of men ordained to the priesthood and in seminary formation, we have an even more, even more in active ministry who are at or beyond retirement age. Okay, that is a very oblique way, in my opinion, of generalizing the problems. Surely by now, Archbishop Schnur has become aware of the intentional subversion of the faith that occurred in that diocese he inherited. Now would be a good time to bring it up. There aren't any vocations, because we had the advancement of the laity in a worldwide known heretical attempt to destroy seminary formation. We had two bishops, Bernardin and Polarczyk, who literally knew they were fomenting a future pre-shortage and creating one. And he's saying we have fewer parents that encourage uh, vo religious vocations. Of course they don't. There's no reason to have a vocation when every layperson thinks they're an ordained priest. Let's get real about the problem here. Let's get real about the history. Now, we, we, you know, bishops have their own language. It's kind of like listening to business people. But even for that, I'm a little bit disappointed that there's not a realistic statement 
of the problem. It's far too vague, far too generalized, far too PR. Very real things happened in Cincinnati that caused this problem. Very real things intentionally created this problem. Let's discuss that. Let's talk about how to fix it. Okay, let's move on to the next. Oh, by the way, Catholic families are generally smaller. Gee, I wonder why. Is it because they think the contraception's okay? And fewer vocations, maybe they're waiting for women to be ordained. Because nothing was done about the promotion of that for at least 30 years that I'm aware of. Granted, those things happened before Archbishop Schnur was here. But I don't see a reason not to discuss them here. If you're going to close all these parishes and create beacons of light, let's get realistic about why. I think, you know, if this is a, a frank talk and, and, and hey, we got a problem we need to deal with, then let's get frank. Despite these discouragements, no, there's not discouragements. There's a real problem. Our mission, Christ's great commission to proclaim the good news of salvation and make disciples of all nations remains. We are called to be God's joyful witnesses. Here we go again with the, with you know, oh, let's put on our happy faces and act like nothing's wrong. It's the dysfunction of the church. If it's a family, it's like, where's the alcoholic? Where's the codependency here? Because I'm seeing it in this letter. It's not talking about the real problem. Next paragraph. As church together, we always have a responsibility to look ahead and make best use of all the Lord has provided us. If we are to be the church as Christ intends, we must understand that status quo can have no place in our vocabulary. We must prayerfully ask ourselves, what in God's plan must we do next? Are our resources properly and most effectively aligned with our God-given mission? In each of our parishes, a strong, vital community of evangelization centered on the Eucharist that continuously draws its parishioners and attracts new members into a more intimate relationship with Jesus? Or is it just struggling to survive? If the latter, why is that? And what might we do about it? Great questions. Let's start with, you know, uh, God is just a force in celebration of community and celebrations of creation. Let's maybe, you know, of those parishes that are strong and vibrant to have like Eucharistic processions and public recitations of the rosary and encouragement of Marian devotion. Maybe we need more of that. Maybe we don't worry about the nicety of, you know, well, Father's not a big fan of that. And, you know, well, there's a big contingent of, uh, yeah, maybe we get away from that and just be Catholic again. There's at least, you know, centered on the Eucharist in Bishop talk. He's aware of this. So here, let's get to the solution he's proposing. Again, this is a PR formula we're reading here. This is, this is. Crisis communication. To address these questions, the Archdiocese of Cincinnati has launched Beacons of Light, a process of comprehensive pastoral planning for our third century of faith in this archdiocese. Under the leadership of Father Jan Schmidt, Director of Pastoral Vitality, and in collaboration with our priests and experienced consultants, we're studying every aspect of our archdiocese and parishes to determine how best array our resources, human, physical, and financial, to spread the gospel far and wide. Great formulation of a, solu of, of a solution. Um, I don't know how to, if we don't articulate the real problems, we just look at the symptoms. I think, you know, we're just, just the difference between solving why the blood pressure is high or low and just putting some uh, patches over things, don't you think? So, next paragraph. Our local church is part of the Lord's plan for his people, and that plan cannot fail. Yes, it can. There's no promise the church will exist everywhere. There's a promise that the church will survive till the end. But as Father Hardin said many times, that doesn't mean in every diocese. So, this encouragement is kind of empty here. And he says God's love is too powerful for that. That's right. If we cooperate with truth and we 
fix the problems and name the problems, just like we must in actual confession, God will help us. But I don't see us naming the problems here. I just see a PR formula, probably from consultants. And I don't see a promise anywhere that the church will always survive in Cincinnati. So here's the promise in his next paragraph. The beacons of light plan will be furnished by the end of this year, but the actual implementation will take several years. You have an opportunity to comment on the plan in October before it's finalized. Hmm. So several years, but it's going to be finalized in October and you have an opportunity to comment. All right. Yeah, they know what they have to do. And this is the, this is in PR communications called the buy-in statement of the problem, which didn't state any of the real problems statement of the solution and the opportunity to come into it. Okay. So that's so much for the July letter. And again, I, I just want to say the problems were inherited. There should not be a problem naming what had gone on for decades to bring them to this point. But it's a problem across the U.S. church. There's just a tone deafness to what the real issue is. But in Cincinnati, it's particularized. I have experience in Cincinnati, and I have my opinion. And in my opinion, that heterodoxy and heresy was allowed to fester and encouraged. And particularly confusion on the sacraments as just being mere symbols of community, lack of confession, and a uh, how should we put it? Just nothing being done about error for decades. Kind of tells you, you know, hey, maybe we need to fix those errors and clarify what we're teaching. Maybe speaking like a bishop instead of listening to the consultants is the better route here. That's my two cents. I'm not a consultant. I'm just a faithful that grew up here. And unlike the commenters I mentioned earlier, who weren't there to see those things, they do need to be brought up because they're not going to be fixed if they're just swept under the rug. So then here just a couple weeks ago in September, and this is where they generated the articles, in a second letter from Archbishop Schnur dated September 17th, 2021, there this is where the, you know, this is a consensus management technique that we're seeing here. This letter is taking uh, concerns and directing them towards the desired outcome. So we have a responsibility to make the best use of all means of God provide us to pursue this sacred mission. These are the concerns that Beacon of Light, a multi-year process of comprehensive pastoral planning, has been addressing. After months of study and analysis, we cannot escape the conclusion that in many cases our church buildings are grossly underutilized. Our priests and parish staff members are stretched to the limit, and our parishes are simply not the vibrant evangelizing communities Catholics want and need them to be. Who cares what Catholics want? What they need to be are sacrament factories, delivering round-the-clock confessions, delivering true statements on the Blessed Sacrament, delivering time for the faithful to be with our Lord, delivering Ordained ministry, not substituting busybody lay people. Those are my two cents. You don't need consultants for that. You don't need years of study. St. John Vianney gave us a good, a good method for this. And some of the lay people in Cincinnati, like I say, there are, there are things, good things that happen here and there. They need to be encouraged and repeated in those other places that still think that women's ordination and covens and lay ministry is the future. You see the clash developing. And if you're going to consolidate and concentrate the heterodoxy and the error and the heresy into fewer beacons, that's not light that's going to be coming out of those beacons. It's going to concentrate the error and make people have to be with it that error will then poison what's left. To my further, you know, I'm giving, this, I'm giving this consultation for free. I realize the consultants that are working on this probably are being paid a lot. 
Well, let's listen to part of the solution here. To help remedy this situation, be better stewards. Parishes in the Archdiocese will be grouped into families of parishes under the leadership of one pastor. After that, each family will collaborate internally to determine the best and highest use of their shared resources, to radiate the love of Christ and form a strong, vital community of evangelization in service centered on the Eucharist. That word Eucharist, I, 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 I can remember in Cincinnati it was taught as uh, nothing more than thanksgiving for community. Maybe the bishop should talk about the real presence of our Lord. But that would be not the way bishops in the U.S. talk, right? But it's time, I think, that it's kind of sad to me how drastic the situation is that they're going through this. But even now, there isn't frank talk in this. So your thoughtful feedback at this stage of the planning process, because this is, again, this is what the consultants are doing. This is called consensus management. A draft of the families of parishes will be shared for public comment in the beginning of October, and you can look at it on the website, beaconsaoc.org. No comment on the domain name. The website of the Beacons of Light Initiative. Please be sure to familiarize with the information on the website and prayerfully provide your input on this important step which will shape the future of our archdiocese. So again, no statement of the actual problems and how we got here. No statement of particular problems that need to be solved. No statement of Catholic faith. Well, there's some scripture there and some nice generalities. No tackling of the heterodoxy. No effort to get back to prodigal sons and daughters. And when you look at the website, you know, they have this little fact section I thought was kind of interesting. One of the questions of, let's look at the concerns that they think people will have. And um, so they're looking at demographics and stuff like that. Will churches close as a result of beacons of light? Each family of parishes will begin bringing parish staff and parish councils together. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I can already tell you, yeah, they're going to close some parishes. They're not going to say it there, uh, but that's what's going on. And is Beacons of Light led top down or bottom up? Gee, um, it's telling me a lot that they thought that was a question that they should answer. And then listen to this answer to it. The initial phase of Beacons of Light, the analysis of data and formation of families of parishes necessarily led from the top down. The subsequent phase, the planning for the future of each family of parishes, will be done at the local level by the pastor in collaboration with his staff and family leaders. So, yeah, the whole thing is being led from the past and the errors of the past. And the way you deal with errors of the past is you go to confession. And you name the sins. You name the errors. And God from top down brings healing and can fix those errors. That question and that answer tell me exactly that this process is not correct. It's not focused the way I would hope Archbishop Schnur would focus it. I've seen evidence of him being and wanting to be a good bishop. But I think he's led by the nose by these consultants here that, you know, the bean counters got in there and there's probably a lot of truth that they've said. But then again, I've been in situations where people put their hope in God and make a good confession and the miracles happen. I don't see a lot of that here. I don't see hope, the theological virtue of hope. I see a resignation to allowing the decay to continue. That's the saddest part. Now, I'm sure, you know, anybody cornered on that, including Archbishop Schnur, would say, well, of course I have hope that God can change things. But one of the problems I saw in the communication was Discussions of we aren't the church of last century anymore. Yeah, no, you haven't been since like the 70s. The 70s turned it into, and the problems I brought up earlier, 
anything but a Catholic church. And maybe by becoming a Catholic church again and insisting on the sacraments and good catechism and creating Catholics that can articulate the real presence and have a devotion and fostering devotions to Our Lady, you might not have even needed to do this. It's not too late to do that, though. It's not too late to do those things. But then let's look at the lower question. How are lay people involved in beacons of light? Well, it's interesting. It's an interesting question to think would be important. Because everybody's worried. This is meant to deflect the idea that the bishop's going to do what the bishop needs to do. And so this is made to look, this is more consensus management occurring. Where this is really just a way to marginalize people who are opposed to it. There are two ways in the near term for every member of the Archdiocese to be involved in Beacons of Light. The first is praying for the success of the Beacons of Light pastoral planning process. <laughs> no, the first is to pray that all these prodigal sons and daughters come back to the faith. <laughs> that would be the first way. Get on your knees, go to confession, and say a rosary. And then come, go in front of our Lord and say, Lord, look how terrible it is. Help us. No, 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 no. This is, this, this, that's why I'm, I mean, the focus is totally wrong, right? So what's the second way lay people can be involved? The second is by staying informed about Beacons of Light, including participating in the com public comment period <laughs> concerning the families of parishes draft. Whoa. So, you know, you can channel your energies into this, uh, into the public comment periods are what federal agencies have for rulemaking. So I think it's, you know, yeah, this is, this is crisis communication PR stuff. And I get it, you know, in the size of an archdiocese with, with, you know, in an area that has millions of people. Okay. You, got, you know, there's a place for that, but no. These aren't the two ways lay people should be involved. Lay people should be involved by saying, hey, how about give me some more confessions? Hey, how about stop uh, talking about symbols of community and talk about the real presence of our Lord? And while we're talking about the real presence of our Lord, how about having some adoration so us lay people can come here and ask our Lord to save his church? Isn't that what the bishop's supposed to be asking us to do? That's just my thought. Those are my two cents. Meanwhile, careful listening to all these newcomers. They don't know any better. They don't know how we got here. They don't, and they're not wise enough to find out. That's the sad part. Well, here we are in October, or Lady of the Rosary. You know, I, I read something from Father Harden that we're going to have something on Fatima coming, and I'm going to talk about why there was a miracle of the sun. There's a very particular reason Our Lady did that, that Our Lord did that for Our Lady. It's very Old Testament-like, too. I think you're going to be shocked. I think you're going to be surprised. We've talked about various things in the past. But I think you're going to like it coming up uh, you know, in the next week. We're going to talk about the miracle of the sun because it occurred on October 13th. But about 350 years before Fatima, the king of Portugal took off his crown and laid it at Our Lady's feet, thereby telling her she was queen of Portugal. Makes you wonder and realize that's probably why Our Lady was endeared enough with that act that she would come to Fatima. Our Lady Fatima gave the remedy for this falling apart the sin, for the offenses to God that had run rampant. We're coming, become, at that time, we're already rampant, becoming worse. The angel taught in the real presence, and Our Lady said prayer, rosary, and do penance. Sadly, none of that appears in this statement. There should be some open penance from the archdiocese for the past decades. And an act like that from the bishop would not mean that he, he was guilty of those acts. But we should talk about specific acts that were wrong and done by the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. Let's go out with a prayer. 
Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. Our Lady of the Rosary, pray for us. Well, you've done it. You've listened to me vent on the real reason the chickens are coming home to roost in Cincinnati. And I've given my two cents based on Our Lady and Father Hardin's statements as to what the real solution is. Pray for the Archdiocese. Pray for Archbishop Schnur that maybe instead of listening to the consultants, he would implore the help of God. Name the errors in the Archdiocese that brought the place to that, to the point they're in now. And ask people to do penance and pray the rosaries to fix it. Bring back these prodigal sons and daughters. Straighten out these heretics. Let them recant and come back to the church. Straighten out the, the, the festering of error around that archdiocese. Still prominent today. When you're eight, you've been listening to the Bellman Forum podcast. I'm your show host, John B. Manos, president of the Bellman Forum. Production of this episode was underwritten by an anonymous donor that asks you to say your rosary daily. If you would like to underwrite production of the podcast, contact the forum using the contact form on the website, bellarmineforum.org, or call us. This podcast is a production of the Bellarmine Forum, formerly known as the Wanderer Forum Foundation, founded in 1965 on the heels of Vatican II as a faithful enclave of the Catholic faith without all of the progressive modernist confusion. Our producer sits at the right hand of his father and will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Our executive director made all things visible and invisible. Our technical director is an unnamed angel assigned to us by the producer per show. The Bellman Forum is a nonprofit public charity, and all donations are tax deductible to the maximum extent permitted by law. This show is copyrighted by the Bellman Forum 2021 to the greater glory of God and the honor of his blessed mother.